0: This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project, and author of the bestseller Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman.
1: Doctor Michelle Still Metta, who holds a master's in public policy from Harvard University's Kennedy School, is author of Silent Sacrifice on the Home Front. Military spouses share their quests to fit career with marriage, motherhood, and military life. Doctor Metta is a researcher, management consultant, and executive coach with more than 20 years of experience helping leaders and organizations navigate strategic change and create healthy workplaces. As an active-duty military spouse, she's dedicated to improving the lives of other career-oriented military spouses. Her research focuses on on the working lives of military spouses, as well as the psychosocial impacts of navigating career within the context of military life. Prior to launching her independent practice in 2004, Dr. Mehta was a senior manager with Deloitte and an internal consultant with Kaiser Permanente. I talk with Dr. Mehta about what she found when interviewing military spouses about the profound psychological as well as financial impact of the military culture of frequent locations, relocations rather. She observed a sense of loss of identity, some resentment, and the struggle to be essentially a single parent and sole caretaker on the home front. Michelle offers tips on how to better navigate what she calls the three M's, marriage, motherhood, and military life. They all involve, not surprisingly, open, regular communication between spouses. And she advocates further for a cultural shift within the military to create a talent marketplace wherein military members can choose deployment locations and timing that fit with their own career development, and their family's needs. She likens the culture of frequent relocations in the military to the crippling face-time expectations in the civilian workforce and proposes that both assumptions and traditions need to be questioned and new solutions found. So now, get set to listen to and learn from a scholar and a change agent as she tells poignant, vitally important stories about those families serving our nation in the military and what must be done to support them. It's Dr. Michelle still Meta. Welcome.
0: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
1: Well, it's great to have you here. So um, it's Probably pretty obvious to most listeners already uh, how you got into this specialty, but I wonder if you could just give us your version of uh, what led you to this to this work in in brief. what what was the the big motivator for you?
0: Sure. Um, well, and it should sound obvious, I guess in retrospect, <laughs> but I, I did not set out on this path mm-hmm. as many careers do took a lot of twists and turns but um, have always been a consultant in one form or another and married um, an Air Force guy once I was already in my 30s and had hmm. a career well underway and um, started grappling with how to make that work for myself. My first strategy was try to convince him to do something else, and that didn't work out so well. You did? And, and how did you try
1: that? <laughs> what were your, what were your uh, uh, methods?
0: Well, when we first met, uh, his reassurance was not to worry too much about it because he would make sure that we'd make decisions that worked for both of us, which was a genuine uh, sentiment. um, But, you know, as decisions uh, come up, each time he was faced with an assignment and it was either take this or find something else to do, he found that he really wanted to maintain the career he had and that it was a good A good path for him personally. So, um,
1: and you were willing and able somehow to accommodate that.
0: Yes, yes. So um, we chose together to stay on that path, and Mm -hmm. I certainly have no regrets about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But along the way, I I wouldn't change
1: a single minute. Is what you say in the uh, the epigram, the dedication to the to your book.
0: That's right. That's right. So. Um along the way, discovered that uh, through my own moving around, mm-hmm. our first international move was to Turkey in a very rural part of Turkey near the Syrian border, where there wasn't a lot mm-hmm. of uh consulting work to be done mm-hmm. so um found myself unemployed for the first time, but still sort of clung to this notion that I was somehow different, that I was not a typical military spouse because I had all this. Education and uh, career success, and I didn't hear other spouses talk about those well, you were, things. So. you were
1: also more advanced in your life, right? Most, yeah, right. Well, I, I yes, I in average 30s. in
0: terms of the age I got married, so certainly mm-hmm. had the opportunity to get a career started, right? Um, and as I, uh, through trial and error, tried to figure out a path for myself, decided that independent consulting would give me the most flexibility, and the way to set that up was to go back and get my PhD and sort of boost my credentials further, and I still had no intention of really focusing on the military aspect of this, but went back to get um, a degree in in human and organizational development and wanted Mm -hmm. to study the psychology of working life and really understand the meaning of work for people and also understand my two extreme experiences of extreme overwork, working for a large consulting firm, mm-hmm. and all that comes with that, and then complete um, unemployment with hmm. no real access to to work, and and struggling to find some real integration point in between. So that was what, what I wanted. What a stark
1: contrast that was yeah, for you,
0: very much. And I did not. It, it really was. A blow to my ego <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and my identity. I tell a story quite often about when I was first unemployed and arrived in Turkey. I received a a resident a resident permit with that said inside under occupation. It said ev hanıma, which means housewife in mm. Turkish, which was not how I identified myself by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. And um, when I went out walking with my neighbors in the morning, I put on one of my Harvard T-shirts without thinking anything of it. And a woman I had been walking with every day for months said, Oh, Harvard, did your husband go there? And all of a sudden it was like I was completely invisible and all I had worked for had been stripped away. And so um, Hmm. when I, to, Answer your question about how I arrived at this. It started as a personal struggle. And then when I went back to school as sort of a coping mechanism for me to build a path that I thought was sustainable, one of my, um, one of my faculty mentors actually reflected back to me, wouldn't it be interesting to study this through the lens of what other military spouses like you go through? And it was like a Uh, no-duh moment of something I had really never even thought about. (laughs) Really? Um, And from there, I began the research, and it turned into, I mean, really, this started with um, a pretty uh, typical Ph.D. dissertation. But Mm. in doing that research and doing interviews with lots of other spouses, I was humbled to find both in the literature and in the conversations with people that I talked to that I was hardly alone or unique in this mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. and that I felt compelled to raise awareness about it mm-hmm. as well as, um, package, uh, the stories that were shared with me in a way that made other could help other military spouses feel that they were not alone and not crazy for feeling like they could not achieve what they thought they mm. should be able
1: to achieve. That's so important and you've really done a great service, Michelle, with with silent sacrifice, perhaps not always quite so silent sacrifice mm-hmm. on, on the home front. Um that's that's what people need is, is a sense that what they're wrestling with is not unique to them and that, you know, there are systemic forces that uh that can create Uh, a struggle and and make it difficult even for the most competent and and wonderfully uh, achieved people uh and and so so can you just briefly describe what it is that makes uh the the struggles of of military families um you know distinctive before we get into what you found about what makes it easier
0: sure sure so um Some of the systemic issues, the number one systemic issue is really a lifestyle based on frequent relocation, Mm -hmm. which, um, you know, the general public may or may not be aware of. We always see the homecoming videos and, you know, I think the general, speaking for myself as somebody before I joined the military community, I think the, the narrative is the hard part about military life is going off to war. Well, for... A lot of us, that's a very smart, small part of our service, um, a sporadic hmm. um, moment for a lot of people, and some have to endure that more than others. Mm-hmm. But most of us do um, live a life where we receive a new duty station every two to three years.
1: Let me just some jump ones. in here and, mm-hmm. and, and note that my wife's doctoral dissertation, she's a PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Michigan in the 80s. She studied the impact of, of transfers and relocations on executives and their spouses and their children. Oh, and the big finding uh, in that study was that one relocation was manageable, but repeated dislocations had all kinds of negative ripple effects for all involved. And this, this, is, this is what you're saying is typical in military life.
0: Absolutely. And there's a great um, British psychologist, who's also a military spouse named Sue Jervis, who talks about mm-hmm. the psycholo- the psychological damage that is done from cumulative relocations and how mm-hmm. you don't have time to repair the damage and the grief and the loss from the last one before the next one comes around. So it's sort of a constant um, issue. Yeah. Um, but beyond even just the psychological repair and recovery, there's a very real... Um, Financial and lifestyle impact of um, uh, on spouse employment, and that most jobs are still tied to a geographic location. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's a cycle where if you want to be an employed spouse, most people pursue a strategy of finding a new job with each new assignment, which mm-hmm. is a, which is a very hard path to follow. Sure, and, and the cycle is pretty short
1: typically, right? Yes. So on
0: average, two two years, mm -hmm, right? So um, a lot of the economic research shows that military spouses, on average, earn um, only about half what our civilian counterparts earn over a lifetime, Mm -hmm. um, in part largely because of that constant relocation. Mm -hmm. So that is really the number one.
1: The financial Um, impact? Of, of frequent I'm relocation
0: frequent relocation ah. is the number one sort of root cause gotcha. of why spouses are um, more likely to be unemployed and underemployed
1: and could you so, say a bit more about what you refer to as the psychological uh, impact and the repair and recovery that's needed that that gets worse with with each new move what is sure. the essential pain that is caused
0: well um, I think I think it 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 depends, but I think that um, in part, I mean, I I speak from sort of the employment lens, and I think it also depends on how successful you're able to maintain your employment. So um, the accumulation Mm -hmm. of it also depends on whether you've been able to maintain that employment or if you are finding yourself slipping or getting um, burned out from repeated attempts. Um, mm-hmm. There's one story in my book. Um, someone I call Maria, who had been an attorney, and um, decided that she was, you know, talented enough and strong enough that she was going to pass the bar in each new state they lived in. Wow! So imagine what that's like if you move a lot every of studying. Two- if you move every two or maybe three years, if you're lucky, hmm. she was spending the first six months studying for the bar, then nice. sitting for the bar, and then having to look for a job that she might be able to keep for a year or two at the most. So she did this successfully in two states, the first two moves. And then in the third state, they uh, she sat, she was studying to sit for the bar and discovered she was pregnant for the first time and was very sick. And realized that she just physically could not mm-hmm. accomplish this mm-hmm. task on the schedule that she set out for herself. So the loss, the psychological damage, I think, was cumulative of mm-hmm. both sort of the exhaustion of having done this path for every two years sitting the bar. And then finally sort of having to admit defeat and grappling mm. uh, very much so with feelings of shame, shame. and failure. And that is the reason why I um, intentionally call this silent sacrifice is that even when we do talk about spouse employment, almost without exception, every woman that I interviewed talked about how they really don't share Mm. how they feel about this with other people. And many of these people said, this is the first time I've really shared how devastating this is to my to my identity and the loss of the piece of myself I've
1: lost because mm. of this. So that's fascinating and, and painful and sad to hear that you'd expect, given the millions of people who have experienced this, uh, certainly in the, uh, I mean, over the course of history and then more recently with a raising of consciousness about these issues, that there would be... Um, You know methods uh, applied to help, uh, especially trailing spouses, to cope with these uh, with these challenges and to make it easier for them to speak about them. But you're saying that that is not the case.
0: Well, there have certainly been um, in the last certainly since I married into the military, things have changed a lot in terms Mm -hmm. of the narrative. Uh, Certainly, the, the Defense Department and um, military nonprofits have done a lot to raise the issue of spouse employment, but largely the mm-hmm. programs um, still focus on uh, helping you with resume writing, helping maybe providing some funding for going back to school um, and asking employers to Pledge to hire a certain number of military spouses, so there are efforts, but mm-hmm. I would say there's very little being done to address the three root causes, which I mm-hmm. I consider to be sort of threefold. So, frequent relocation being one, yes. and that there's I think um, little appetite among policymakers to change that aspect of military life. Although I don't think it it should be taken as a given. It's sort of like the same comparison I would draw to the civilian world of kind of holding on tightly to this forty-hour a week in the office. You ha- we have to see your face. It's a similar kind of cultural artifact hmm. that I think has um, should be called into question as and look at alternatives. Um, and then the second root cause is really what I would think of as um, an extreme version of typical working parent issues where. Military demands are very high, but there's an expectation that there's still it's sort of a single breadwinner model. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's up to the quote-unquote trailing spouse to take care of that. And then thirdly, um, just related. So trailing, to that,
1: but, trailing's is not the right term. What's a, what's a better term to describe the the spouse who comes along because. Her husband spouse. or his his wife is is the is the person who is 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 not making this move of their own volition, but only doing it because military service requires it. Right. What right. do you what so do you that call that? The person? military spouse. The what? Sorry.
0: The military spouse.
1: Okay. All yeah. right. Um, so there
0: is the service member and the spouse. Okay. Um, and then I think overlaying all of this is still a military culture that presumes. Traditional gender roles still hmm. exist, wow. and mm-hmm. perpetuates those in subtle sorts of ways um, that make it difficult to change both roles at home and roles at work.
1: Where do we begin uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, these are These are monumental uh, you know challenges, but you' you've, you've uh, in in silent sacrifice on the home front. Brought these down to uh, to the level that individuals can can think about what they can do differently. So, uh, give us a brief introduction to your the essence of your advice.
0: Sure. So, I use a framework I call the three M's: uh, marriage, motherhood, or fatherhood, and military life. Um, and I should say, in my research, um, since I was partly looking at gender roles, the Spouses that I interviewed were female. Oh, okay. And, and this is a heavily again gender-based norms um, are a big part of this picture. Ninety-two percent of military spouses are women. So this is not a 50-50 environment. Mm-hmm. It's ninety-two percent. So um,
1: those numbers is- have to be changing, though, right? Like it, for your kids, uh, for the next generation, that's going to be a different that's going to be a different ratio, is it not?
0: I hope so, but I have to say um, I don't think it will change very much mm. until the spouse employment um, issue mm. is tackled seriously, because wow. the cycle that happens is at junior levels, there's a um, more representation of women. Um, mm-hmm. But women in the military often marry men in the military, and then they start having children, and they look at each other like, we can't both do this. Somebody's got to get out. Mm. Um, Because, you know, you can't be sent to Germany while I get sent to Afghanistan. You know, we've got to figure this out. So Mm. there becomes a bifurcation where women leave. And so um, there's still a real retention issue um, within the military in terms of um, gender, in terms of women. So I'd say um, and, and it needs to be a lifestyle that is manageable for two Mm -hmm. members of the family, not just one. Because what's happened is military culture has not changed, yet American culture has. And so even the average, the majority of military families expect to have two careers. And are often surprised when they find that it's difficult.
1: Oh, they expect so. going in that they can that 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 the military will somehow accommodate or, or really even invest in the fact that hey, we've got two. Let's make it work for them and their family. That right, does, you're right. saying that doesn't really happen.
0: Well, I think that um, there are attempts for it to happen, mm-hmm. um, and it's sort of like um, any other employer. How well do they support mm-hmm. the workplace? flexibility or any other initiative, uh, sometimes it happens better than others. But um, I think not just for dual military couples, but for dual income couples where you've got two professions and one's a civilian and one is military, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, often the civilian person feels like they have no choice but to give up their career. And because of the interaction of gender norms, I think there's a lot of evidence that traditionally women are, it's more um, acceptable for women mm-hmm. to give up a career and stay mm-hmm. home than it is for a man. Mm-hmm. So when push comes to shove, when a man is married to a woman in the military, she's going to leave the military so he can keep his yep. career. Mm-hmm. But if a woman is married to a man in the military, they're going to follow him and she'll make the sacrifice. So,
1: so w- largely
0: because of those norms, mm-hmm. the demographics are changing slowly.
1: That's a very cogent and compelling and saddening uh, explanation. So I wonder if you could just uh, give us the headline on what those, the three M's that you focus on in Silent Sacrifice, uh, what are they? And and how? In, in the second half of the show, we'll, we'll dig into some more detail, but um, a, a bit sure. more on what each one of those represents in terms of uh, a call to action.
0: Sure. So the marriage piece is about making sure that whatever path you choose in your career as a military spouse, that your spouse is involved in that decision and actively supporting that. Mm -hmm. The motherhood and fatherhood piece is about being clear about your own expectations as a parent, Mm -hmm. and are you a parent who feels like you need to physically be there with your children Mm -hmm. at each stage, or are you more refreshed if you go away for periods of time and work and come back and be honest about that? And then the military life um, is about taking a hard look at what military, your military life is going to demand of you. Is it a lot of deployments? Is it a lot of moving around? Is it a lot of um, frequent um, short trips where, that your service member has to take? Sometimes we have unique aspects of that. And also, what's the time horizon? Are you in for 20 years or three? Um, because mm-hmm. your path is going to be really different.
1: Let's start with the first one, marriage. Uh, that should be an easy one to just figure out, pretty straightforwardly, right, Michelle? <laughs>
0: um, hardly, but I think that um, often it goes overlooked, and mm-hmm. I think the overall premise behind this three M framework is that it's um, more—it's important to look at each of these holistically and really mm-hmm. be planful and mindful about it, instead of just job. Hopping each assignment, but really thinking about what's a sustainable path Hmm. and the marriage piece. um, I've got sort of great stories in the book about this. Everything from, you know, examples where the service member is an equal partner at home and he makes sure that he's there to pick up the kids, take care of dinner when she has to work late. And really that egalitarian model Mm -hmm. makes it allows for both of them to have careers. On the opposite end of the spectrum, um, there's a woman in my book that um, I call Brenda, and she talks about her husband's excuse job, how he's really just fully dedicated himself to only doing things within his military life, and then he comes home and feels like everything falls to her to the point where he's asked her not to go back to work because the household is too chaotic when she doesn't have time to do all of the Housework and homework with the kids, and running them to practice because he's unwilling to do any of it.
1: Wait, so, so the excuse job means? Oh, the military job the is military like, hey, I, mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing something really important for our country. I'm burned out, honey. You take care of all the other stuff.
0: Yeah, and it's even it's not as explicit as that. Um, it's something that's been built up over the years by the norm of one spouse being home, being the stay-at-home right. mom. And then kind of being stuck in those sticky roles when she hmm. wants to go back to work hmm. um, because he's not accustomed to doing any of it. And so rather than renegotiate those roles, she finds herself in kind of a no-win situation. So,
1: Feeling um, that sense of shame and failure that you talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, and honestly resentment, too, <laughs> on the well, marriage level. I
1: was going to ask about that obvious... Point uh, that that's got to create all kinds of conflict and underlying, if not explicit, rifts in the partnership, right?
0: Yes, I think when you're not on the same page, of course, it's going to lead to that. And and I'm not saying that choosing to stay home is a bad decision, only mm-hmm. that you need to be in agreement about it. And um, that's a key part of career planning for anyone, but certainly as a of military course. spouse, is making sure. You've talked through this plan together, and not just assume that you're going to forge on with what you think is best.
1: All right, before we before we get to you know being a parent, uh, just a, one or two more questions uh, about about the military marriage. Uh, let's call it. What do you find is the issue that um, that the partnerships that you studied and in your own experience have had the most difficulty? coming to agreement about and, and how do you advise them to do that?
0: Um, I think, well, if you, if you take out the parenting roles, that's certainly the biggest one, but, um, I think the biggest sort of underlying issue that I've experienced or seen with people is a sense of independence versus dependence. And Mm -hmm. this is, um, something that's fostered, again, by military culture, where each of us who is a military spouse carries a, quote-unquote, dependent ID card. So we are considered to be Oh, wow. That's
1: the dependent. official term.
0: That's the official term, yes. Um, and so from the minute you become part of the community, you are told that one is primary, who is called the sponsor. There's a sponsor and a dependent, and there's already a hierarchy. Sponsor? established. Yes. Sp- the military member is considered the sponsor and the spouse is considered the dependent.
1: Sponsor of what?
0: The sponsor of military benefits.
1: Ah, So if we
0: want to use, go grocery shopping at the commissary or go see a doctor on base or even enter a military installation, it's all based on our sponsor's privileges. Um, But that pervades all aspects of our life, even down to schools that our kids go to. And Hmm. um, where we even get our haircut, or things very, um, you know, day in and day out. Right. So that sense of independence and equality, I think, is kind of the biggest struggle. And there are mm-hmm. a couple of people in my study who are former service members, veterans who have become um, military spouses as, as they've mm-hmm. gone out and become the dependent spouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they have really gone through a real shock and identity loss Sure. by suddenly um, being demoted in the eyes of not just the military, but within their own marriage and household.
1: Demoted. <laughs> I mean, that's that's literally what happens. Yes. So, so what advice do you have for people in that scenario?
0: Well, with that specific scenario? So I think it's important, again, um, like any other aspect of a marriage, is to... Be mindful and explicit, and one of the things I do in my book is at the end of each chapter, including the marriage chapter, provide some questions for reflection that you can use with your own partner Mm -hmm. to actually discuss how... What should our roles at home be? Mm-hmm. What does our time horizon look like in the military? Mm-hmm. What do you want to accomplish? What do we want to accomplish in each of our careers? And how can we support each other? So sort of not getting caught up in how the military defines that, but as a partnership, really have a plan together that you are comfortable with and support each other with.
1: That's so crucial. And and, and I'm sure that's that's got to help. And, Again, I'm I'm surprised that such a uh, a resource as as what you have just described isn't just standard protocol to give to all <laughs> military families. Uh, I, I'm chuckling here because it I guess I'm disguising my uh, feeling of sympathy for how difficult it, it must be to have those conversations, and you'd want you'd want the system. Uh, to to make it easier to have those conversations and to make it normal.
0: Well, it's interesting. So there are a lot of support systems within the military culture, but just like anywhere else, when you're in your culture, you sometimes have a hard time seeing what the barriers are or what the downsides are. And mm-hmm. I remember uh, my husband and I actually participated in a military um, program for communication and marriages. It was a workshop, you know, mm-hmm. just a one time improve your marriage, learn how to communicate better. And um, in the seminar, I remember bringing up a story about how it's so frustrating that I just want to agree on what time we'll both be home so that we can have dinner as a family, yet it's hard for my husband to Hmm. stick to that plan. And the the facilitator basically said, oh, honey, you're new. You'll figure it out. These guys, you know, you haven't figured out military life yet. Again, that excuse job. Where, well, military members can't expect, can't be expected to be home at a certain time. They have important things to do. Hmm. Um, And it's that subtle, constant reminder that we are expected to be all in. You can go figure out the rest that takes a real toll.
1: Yes, I can readily see that. And I can also see how it's possible to design a different approach as a partnership. And that's what yeah. you're thats what you're advocating for, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's possible. It is possible, for I, sure.
1: I assume you've done that, personally.
0: Yes. I, I mean, it, yes, we have. We have. And um, we are now old and coming to the end of our military career. So we'll have to forge a new partnership as uh as a civilian couple again but yes, yes it takes work and it's constant renegotiation at constant. different stages in your
1: life. That's mm-hmm. for sure. I'm I'm in my 39th year of marriage so I can attest to that fact. <laughs> let's let's move to uh the second M and that is motherhood or fatherhood. Uh what what are the key issues there? How does all this affect one's children and one's relationship with one's children? And what what are the key issues there that that you address in in your study and in your practice?
0: Well, the the key question that I'm looking at, again, is how um, employment fits in your life. And so the question that I find um, spouses deal with here is um, very similar to what civilian working parents experience, which is Uh, am I going to go to work and feel guilty about it Mm -hmm. or am I going to stay home and feel unfulfilled and, and kind of that angst about what's the right thing to do and looking for a lot of outside, um, signals. Um, and so my, my, can, can
1: you just explain what you mean by outside signals?
0: Um, I think, again, sort of with the competing advice out there, you Mm -hmm. know, looking for role models. Should I do what my friend down the street does? Should I do what my sister did? Mm -hmm. Should I do what my friends from business school are doing? Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's important to be true, to try to tap into what matters to you. you, What's going to feel right for you? Is it staying home for a period of time? Is it part-time work? Is it full-time work? Um, or, you know, and what does that look like? How do you fit that with your parenting? And um, one story that that strikes me in particular about this woman I named Grace, who um, had been a financial professional before moving overseas and thought she would never stay home um, because all of her peers were on the, you know, fast track, success, you do what you have to do. And her mother was very supportive of that track. And then they moved to Italy and she had their first child and she said, guess what? I can stay home and no one's going to criticize me because I'm in Italy. (laughs) So they said, let's go to Japan next. And they had another kid and she said they stayed overseas for consecutive tours in part because she did not want to have to justify to her friends and family why she didn't go back to work. And she felt like that was the military gave her that excuse.
1: That's interesting. And, and, How did she feel about all that?
0: So when I interviewed her, her kids were um, like young elementary school, and she was starting to think about Mm -hmm. wanting to go back to work in some form, but not sure what that was going to look like yet. And she was pretty happy that she had taken the path she had, but also said, I I don't want to stay on this path forever because I want my two daughters to see... Ah that they can do what they want to do. I don't want this to be the Mm. only model they see. So Hmm. um, she felt like it was time to make a change, but she was really happy that she had what she considered the freedom to stay home that she wouldn't have had if she had not been a military spouse. So sort of a flip side Mm -hmm. of that. Um, Hmm. But the more typical scenario I think is that of feeling like – on top of being a working parent, you're often a single working parent because, again, the military right. member is all in and may even be away for a short or long period of time, mm-hmm. um, or just have a very demanding work schedule when they're at home.
1: And what what do you what do you advise uh, the military spouses in that situation?
0: So. Um, Again, one is talk with your spouse about this. Don't figure it out alone, because it's another key part you have to be on the same page about. If you don't agree, you better figure out what that looks like. Um, Another is think of this as seasons. A really, I Mm -hmm. think, positive aspect to the frequent moving around is that it lends itself towards planning your life in two-year increments. Mm -hmm. So you're sort of forced to, whether you want to or not. But you don't have to make a decision that feels like it's forever. Think about what makes sense for the next two years. And maybe have a sense of where that fits in the mm-hmm. long-term scheme of things, but if you can figure out what you're going to be happy doing for the next two years, that's a good place to start. That's and interesting. So there's
1: another way in which the, the military structure has some advantages, uh, that you you've got to think in terms of this two-year horizon, and that's in some ways more manageable than thinking about your whole life.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: I'm going to take a call from uh, from Florida. It's Daniel calling. Daniel, welcome to Work and Life. What's, what's your question? How can we help you?
0: Hi. My question is, do you find that this is a U.S.
1: military issue, or
0: do other militaries in other countries also face similar issues with relocation, with marriage and work-life balance? Hmm. Or is it like an innovation problem, or is it a U.S. problem?
1: When you say innovation problem, you mean innovation in our... I
0: know. Correct. Correct. Like other other militaries have found ways to innovate Mm. in the space and take from uh, from private culture
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, to make more effective teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a great question. And um, there are aspects of this that are very unique to the U.S. military. I Mm -hmm. wouldn't say that we're the only one, but because we're we have, um, you know, one of the largest militaries in the world, we have installations all over the world as well. So our model of frequent re- relocation is really like none other in the world. So Because have, of the
1: scope of our operations?
0: Be- because of the scope of our operations and also, um, um, yes, yeah, so other countries, smaller countries tend to have either one central location mm-hmm. or a few central locations or even um, in the British model, they um, often either move as a unit, so it's a little more predictable, um, or stay in one place for longer term. So uh, a lot of our problems are unique to that model of frequent relocation, which Mm -hmm. um, is... uh, I still am sort of struggling with the operational rationale for doing that, the most I can tell, and I haven't studied this in depth, but um, anecdotally, I've been told: well, military officers in particular need to learn how to lead in different environments. Mm. We need to build resiliency. Mm-hmm. We need to learn in different locations. But there's a huge um, inefficiency involved in and cost in not much moving personnel around and uh, loss of continuity in particular locations. So there's a real cost mm-hmm. to the military mission as well as to military families. And um, the other sort of sort of cynical feminist uh, critique of this is that um, the military has either consciously or unconsciously created the system to break any possible um, chance of loyalty to the civilian world wow. by forcing constant uh, moving around. Wow. So you're more likely to be all in, if you don't have time to make connections with the rest of the world,
1: and by all in you mean
0: all in with your military circle, being completely dependent on mm-hmm. your military community way of life, um, and not be so connected or find divided loyalties between your wow. civilian community and your military community.
1: Oh, Michelle, do you do you subscribe to that view that there is a like a deliberate design choice there in the system?
0: I think it's um, at this stage um, I don't know if that had anything to do with the original design um, honestly I don't don't know if there is a deliberate rationale anymore I think it's become a cultural artifact hmm. um, and I think it's time to really question what the alternative might be. All
1: right, let's get into that in the, in the few minutes that we have remaining. The third M is military life and what, what can be different in it. I want to focus our attention on that because that's uh, that's important for many of our listeners in thinking about how to advance the idea of progressive uh, cultural change in the military so that it's good not just for the, the strength of our military but for our military families. So what are the big ideas that you're bringing uh, from your research about that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I think the, the coping skill is about being aware Mm -hmm. of what your military life is likely to look like. So that's again, a conversation with your partner in terms of systemic change. I think the real key is in personnel reform. Um, and there are groups, um, like the bipartisan policy center that have, um, proposed changes around this. There's, um, there's good thinking about what alternatives might be. And I know there are some pilot studies being done within the defense department about another way of doing um, personnel assignments. I just don't know how much traction that's getting. Um, But essentially um, one idea that has been proposed is really almost make it more of a talent marketplace where um, instead of having command and control assignments where, I as a personnel officer sitting in Texas you know, plot out who's going where, um, whether it works for your life or not, that there's more transparency and visibility um, through systems for me as a service member to look, say, online through a portal mm-hmm. and say, these are the jobs coming up over the next year mm-hmm. and this is where they're located and these are the skill sets we need and look for things that fit, not just for me, but also for my family. Um, you know, because it might be the person who is devastated that they're getting sent to Okinawa, the guy sitting next to me might have a mother-in-law in Okinawa, and, you know, his wife would be thrilled to go there. And that kind of transparency... Doesn't currently exist the way that it could.
1: That seems like such a ripe opportunity for creating a a sensible market mechanism for, for making the matches. You know, the the thousands of matches that have to get made every week, probably in in military assignments. Yes, I think so. So, uh, what's the most important idea that you think is is? uh, I mean, maybe that's it. The you know, a more market based uh, matching mechanism. Um, what else is sort of top of mind in terms of what has to change in military life?
0: I would say it's a culture shift. And I really Mm -hmm. believe that culture changes, um, through dialogue Mm -hmm. and the more when we start talking differently, that's when culture changes. And so it starts with, uh, my own people as military spouses in not being silent and, um, and being willing to say, you know what, this is unacceptable. I shouldn't have to give up my livelihood in order to support my spouse's service. And um, guess what? It might take actually more people leaving and saying, I'm not willing to live this life mm-hmm. to get um, some attention around it. Because I think it will turn into, it already is turning into a talent um, issue um, where we're losing people because of it.
1: Oh. Well, so then it really becomes a matter of military readiness uh, on top of everything else that we've been talking about here. Absolutely. Uh, This is such important work, Michelle, still, Mita, and I'm so glad you're bringing it to us. Um, uh, Let me ask you one more question. It's a question I've been asking all my guests this year. Uh, What I'm thinking of is the year of accountability. Um, What do you do to hold yourself accountable if anything, for living and working in accord with your core values.
0: Well, I was just thinking about this on my drive home from a client today that I need to live the three M's myself and make sure that I'm having those conversations with my partner as I um, really decide what work is meaningful to me and what can I say yes to and what do I need to say no to and make space for the other roles in my life. So. Um, that's it. It's about being a good model of work life integration myself mm. before I can help others.
1: Thank you for that candor and for that very useful advice. Uh, Dr. Michelle StillMeta, I really appreciate your joining us on the show tonight. What's the best place to go uh, for listeners who want to learn more about your wonderful book and other work?
0: Yeah, great. So, my website is stillmeta.com. And I have a Facebook page titled Whole Spouse, W-H-O-L-E, Spouse. Nice. Those are the two best places to go.
1: Fantastic. Thanks again for joining us.
0: Thank you so much.
1: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Michelle still Meta, author of Silent Sacrifice on the Homefront, and that it provoked your thinking about what you can do to speak up and not remain silent about how our society's institutions aren't keeping pace with the reality that our lives, civilian and military, our lives as, as members of working families, what, what we are facing today. There's a number of different levels on which we can try to affect positive change. And sometimes the best place to start is super local. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. Can you, as Dr. Stillmeta suggests, help to end the silence in your own life? So if it's relevant, might you begin a conversation with your spouse or partner about what each of you really wants to achieve in both your careers and in your family? Can I help you with that? Is that something that you could use some advice from me about? I would be happy to respond to any question. You might write to me at friedman.wharton.upenn.edu or you can find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, go to workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, visit totalleadership.org and check out my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it with your friends, your family, and your coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.
0: For more insight from Business Radio